don't know if you noticed any pattern in those songs about change uh, within ourselves and externally within the world and how we um, create change and how we can take something that's horrible and turn it into something good and beautiful. That's kind of the topic of um, an aspect of this book called intentional adaptation, which sounds like a super fancy word. The book on the website, Adrienne Marie Brown says that this is a guidebook for getting in right relationship with change and using our own nature and that of creatures beyond human as our teachers. Life and nature are experts in adapting to change, and so we can learn from them. And Jill kind of shared um, that earlier. So click. <laughs> Intentional adaptation. Adaptation is a change in a plant or animal that makes it better able to live in a particular place or situation. The process of changing to fit some purpose or situation or the process of adapting. Intention is the thing that you plan to do or achieve, an aim or a purpose. So the aim or purpose of most life on earth is to survive and reproduce and evolve and um, hopefully thrive. But it's just to not die. <laughs> That's like the goal of most of nature is in life. Um, so take a look at this next example of creatures that have adapted to meet their aim of survival. So can you tell that that's a chameleon? Yeah. Click. <laughs> this is an Arctic fox, the same animal. On the left, it's the spring and summertime. On the right, it's the winter. It has adapted to change its color uh, to protect itself in the winter. Click. Can you spot the snow leopard in this picture? You see it? It's about this big. No. <laughs> it's not huge. It's this right here. No, I'm just kidding. Right there, you can see its eyes and mouth. There. <laughs> I need a laser pointer. Life on Earth has adapted... There's long evolution where it happens over a long period of time, and then there's short where creatures adapt within their lifetime to survive. Greek philosopher Heraclitus is credited for saying, change is, you're going to go up and look. <laughs> you're just, you're <laughs> skeptic. We're, it's good. It's good to question. Heraclitus is credited for saying that change is the only constant in life and that life is in flux. So everything in the universe, nothing is static, nothing stays the same, nothing stays still. We are flying through the universe millions of miles an hour at this moment. We're going through space, nothing stays the same. Changes in relationships, changes in career, changes in finance, health, school, uh, technology, changing, culture changing, changing in politics. We have a big change possibly coming up this year in politics that will be a change for our society. Dealing with loss and grief, transitions with different stages in life. You have um, childhood and puberty and adolescence and midlife crisis and the golden years. And each change comes with so many challenging transitions of how we adapt to this new way of being. 
And sometimes, most of the time, we are very reluctant to change and resistant to change. And it can be very upsetting. Just take a look at this video of this toddler who found out she was about to have a sibling. Vivian, what do you think it's going to be? A girl. You think you're going to have a sister? What happens if it's a brother? I cry forever. No. (laughs) Are your eyes closed really tight? Ready? All right, look in the mirror. (laughs) Change is hard. I have a baby brother and I like him. (laughs) Change is hard. You can go to the next slide, Kevin. Adrian Marie Brown says that how we live and grow and stay purposeful in the face of constant change actually does determine both the quality of our lives and the impact that we can have when we move into action together. What is our purpose and our aim? So for us as a faith community, as followers of the way of Jesus, our aim and our purpose is to create a world that is more healed and more whole, that is more uh, just, that is more inclusive, and all of that begins with your individual thoughts and actions and behaviors. And Jesus called this the kingdom of God. And he said that the kingdom of God is within you. And he said that it's like a seed that you plant, and then it just fills the whole field. So it starts small within you, and it grows outward. And so we change our thoughts and our behaviors and our actions to be more loving and just, and it grows outward. That's the kingdom of God. That's our purpose and our aims, to become to reach our potential as human beings, to thrive, to uh, become like love, like Christ, like God. And so how do we do that? So we not just survive like so, many, so much of life on earth, but we are built to thrive. We have the capacity and the agency to make changes that go beyond my personal survival. I can make choices and changes that affect your well-being and my community's well-being and our world's well-being. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So how do we do that? So the author says, for me, it feels like tuning into the ways the universe naturally works and being humbled by it, as opposed to trying, this is what we do, we barrel through and against all change. We push back against it. We resist it. But so, um, she says, or not she, well, Lita and Marisha, she's actually, I think, worked together with um, Adrian Marie on a book. She said, um, Adrian quoted her, nature has taught me about fluid adaptability, about not only weathering the storms, but using the howling winds to spread seed wide. Torrential rains to nurture roots so they can grow deeper and stronger. And so many spiritual traditions around the world have talked about this process of change. Uh, Alan Watts said the only way to make sense out of change is to plunge into it and move with it and join with the dance. Lao Tzu said, life is a series of natural and spontaneous changes. Don't resist them. That only creates sorrow. Let reality be reality. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they like. Meaning, accept reality as it is. And only then can we make changes 
based on how reality actually is. Does that make sense, or does that just sound woo-woo? <laughs> so before we can make a wise, good change, we have to be able to accept our situation and accept where we're at. That's the starting point. And so what Eastern philosophy has taught for so long is that sorrow and suffering and pain doesn't come from change. It comes from our resistance to the change. Um, so the Buddha said, and this was five, six hundred years before Jesus, change is never painful, only the resistance to change is painful. Buddha also said um, a version of what Jesus said 500 years later to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, do not do to others what you do not want done to you. Um, Jesus and the Buddha, I think, had a lot in common. Rick Potts is a paleoanthropologist. He said that humans distinguish themselves from all other species on earth by being extraordinarily adaptable. He says, we are the most resilient species on the planet. We have survived in every landscape. We have survived multiple um, catastrophic events in the history of human species. We are the most adaptable and the most resilient and the most reluctant to change. <laughs> Not only are we reluctant when things outside of us change, we are reluctant to change our own ideas and our own views and our own opinions. And that's called bias. We refuse to accept um, the truth outside of our own bias. There is a tribe in Asia that has lived at sea for hundreds of years, and their bodies have adapted to grow a larger spleen. And that larger spleen allows them to breathe underwater for up to 13 minutes. And they've only been doing this for a few hundred years. The human species is so resilient and so adaptable, but we don't feel that. I don't feel that. I do not feel resilient. I do not feel strong and courageous and able to face any change that comes my way. I'm terrified of change. I do not like being uncomfortable. The first thing I do when I get home, you can ask Kylie, I have my pants halfway off before I even get through the house, and I go into the bedroom, and I put on my sweats. I want to be comfortable. Yeah. Most of us, the author says, Adrian Marie Brown, many of us respond to change with fear or see it as a crisis. Some of us anticipate change with an almost titillating sense of stress, and we spend precious time thinking about what has changed that we didn't choose or can't control and or thinking ahead to future stress, what could happen. But the reality is we are not fragile, scared little creatures. We are resilient. And you have full control and agency and power to how you respond when life changes. When things outside you happen that you can't control, you have full control over how you respond to that, how you respond to those people. That's a powerful thing. It's empowering to me. So how can I respond to that change in a way that leads to more peace and more healing and uh, more inclusion, more wholeness for myself and my home and my work life and my family? Because I have the power to, to choose how I can respond. So how do we do that? 
Bruce Lee has the answer. Be water, my friend. Be water. Water fits whatever container it's in. Be flexible. Be adaptable. Go with the flow. I have so much stress and tension in my shoulders. Every time I've gotten a massage, they're like, wow, maybe a heat pad or something? Or <laughs> like, you, got, you, got, you got, it's tight. Because I'm resisting. That stress is a resistance to what is in this present moment, to what I'm feeling, to what I'm seeing, to what I'm hearing. I just need to take a breath <laughs> and just let it be. John Lennon said, or what our um, in-house theologian Jill Creasy said, I spelled your, I forgot a C in your name. Our adaptations could be as small as noticing when our body is feeling tense and being willing to close our eyes and take a deep breath before moving into the next thing, or they could be as large as engaging in some community-based efforts for systemic change. Either way, they require us to notice how things are in the present Accept how things are in the present and be willing to change to adapt. So when something happens outside of my control, you're so wise, Jill. I can stop, breathe, notice how am I feeling, how am I reacting, how is my body reacting, how is my fight or flight or fawn response, how is it happening? Just be aware and notice and then we can move on to the next thing. Then I can have maybe some wisdom to know what to do next. And the author of the book gives a great example of how she did this uh, in her daily life. And so I'm going to read you a story from the book. Are you okay with story time with Devin? All right, got to find it now. She said, It's easy to think that everything's a miracle during a moment of external joy. Falling in love, welcoming new life into the world, celebrating a major accomplishment, seeing a wonder of the world, being a part of a successful march or an action, those moments when rightness flows through my body, and I feel connected to a great way, a force, and energy that makes us all one. What's harder is to bring my miraculous perspective to grief, to injustice, to delayed travel, to broken technology, to music stands that fall apart, to conflict, to changes of plans, to mercury retrograde, things that could be filed under bad day or bad life. Mindful adaptation makes it possible to experience the miraculous more often, if not constantly. And here's a little story about this, she says. Once upon a time, I was offering an emergent strategy training in Boston, and I was late. And generally, I am a late person as I age. I don't want to sound shady, Basically, I've been adapting because I was tired of being the only person on time so often. She became late. And she said, kidding, mostly kidding. I haven't fully accepted that I need more time and slower time to live my life. And I've been trying to adjust around the slower self. So on this morning, I decided to go to my meeting early. I knew that the commute to the training was usually 45 minutes, even with light traffic. She checked her Google Maps, and it was an hour and 50 minutes that morning. My gut made the rut row sound, but my mind overrode that with lots of rational options for the added time, including but not limited to traffic, the grandiose nature of Boston, and how everything in life is a mystery. 
And as I flew through the tunnels under downtown and my direction said I still had 30 minutes left, my intuition got louder. Something's wrong. I couldn't figure out how to change the situation while moving at the speed without endangering everyone. And also, I didn't have time to be wrong. I didn't want to be late, so I just kept going. And I finally pulled up to what I really wanted to be, the downtown building where the trainees would be waiting. And instead, it was a residential white house with laundry hanging on the wire in the front yard. My mind conceded to my gut, as opposed to making an argument to go knock on the door. I figured out that my error was an understandable one. There are 226-way streets in Boston. One's downtown, one's in a rural area, and she was not at the right one. Now I was 30 minutes from the training, which was scheduled to start in 15 minutes. This is where I adapted towards pleasure. First, I yelled. One good, strong, wordless yell that filled up the car and released the tension that had been building between my mind and my gut. And this is something I've been working on, engaging my anger and actually releasing it in harmless ways when it's live in me. And then I emailed and called the organizers to say to adjust the start time, and they didn't sound stressed at all, which helped. And then I had the thought that often shifts my mood. This is all the miracle. These 30 minutes being late to the meeting in Boston traffic are lived by a miraculous, irreplaceable body and a dynamic and outstanding system of life moving towards life. What I mean is, it's my choice. If I spend 30 minutes liberating myself, berating myself, I'm sorry, for not triple-checking the directions or some other way not being myself, because most of my stress takes the shape of self-attack. Why don't you have a better memory? Why didn't you prepare your travel better? Why aren't you more like insert superior human of the moment? Why don't you listen to your gut more? Instead, I'll just show up feeling funky, lesser than, and like my precious life has been wasted. I don't want to waste any of this time. So I put on Alabama Shakes, an artist. I put over my head on repeat, and I sang it all the way back to Boston. Suffice to say, I arrived at the building for training, feeling gloriously alive, flushed in the cheeks, laughing, clicking together the mind heels of the body in my head that can achieve enough height to click heels together. I walked into the room, and everyone else was late. The rest of the day was a shape-shifting adaptation fest. I'm wondering where I have agency where I am moving, where I am being moved. I keep coming back to response and reaction as the place where I have the most agency, where, as Octavia Butler puts it, I can shape God, the idea that God is moving and flowing and changing and adapting to every situation that we're a part of. We're in this dance with God. I choose what to embody, what to long for, and even as the horizon shifts before me, the adaptation is up to me. The laughter between grieving friends, the justice of advancing a righteous anger, the first moments of surrender into new love, and the opportunity inside of apparent failure. How often, how quickly can I become aware of the miraculous nature of the moment I'm in and adapt towards the pleasure available in that awareness? That's some deep stuff. How can I adapt in this moment 
that feels so shitty, realize that there's also some beauty and goodness here in this body that I'm in, in this brain and mind that I have, or what can I do with that? How do we move towards pleasure, adapt towards pleasure? 